Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. In a sense, Bernie Sanders has already won. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirillo. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Pardon the interruption, former 49ers team owner, pardoned by President Trump over that 1998 felony charge. And President Trump says he's threatening lawsuits over Mueller and calls for a new Roger Stone trial. All of that, plus a full preview of the Las Vegas presidential debate scheduled for tomorrow night. There's a new guy on the stage, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. We're going to talk all about it with an all-star panel. Robert Creamer, as well as Siraj Hashmi. He's got a new book out called Red Alert Politics. Uh, and he's previously written for the Washington Examiner. That is not the name of his book. It's called The Populist Guide to the 2020 Election. Lots to get through. We have two all-stars. Siraj Hashmi's back on the program. He is uh, the he is a commentary and video editor and writer for the Washington Examiner. He previously served as assisting editor for Red Alert Politics, as well as was an associate producer at Sirius XM Radio. We liked him so much, we asked him back. <laughs> Welcome back, Siraj. Thanks for having me, Kevin. And Robert Creamer making his debut. You on the program on Bloomberg Radio Sound On. Uh, you might know him as an American political consultant, community organizer, and author. Uh, he also, uh, of course, is the founder and partner of the firm Democracy Partners, and works with progressive electoral uh, on progressive electoral and issue campaigns. Um, and your wife just happens to be a very nice congresswoman named Jan Schakowsky. Well, thank you. How's the congresswoman doing? She's just doing great. So have you endorsed for this uh, election yet? Uh, both of us are, are supporting Elizabeth Warren, yeah. You know, I, I think she's going to make a huge comeback in Vegas, well, in the Nevada I, I, caucus. We, we hope so. We'll all see uh, for sure on uh, this weekend. So obviously, you know, we're going to dive right into this uh, in terms of former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is going to be on the stage tomorrow night, in case you, you might not have heard. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, what will that do from your perspective for the Warren campaign as it as as we enter into this new phase of the race? Well, I do think it gives her an opportunity to distinguish herself in a very clear way. At the same time that uh, uh, Bloomberg was talking about uh, redlining as uh, regulations as one of the causes of the uh, great economic collapse, uh, she was in the process of uh, responding to that and helping to create the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Um, and, um, you know, there's a very clear distance there. I'm struck by this, Siraj, because it really seems like everyone on that stage tomorrow night, Biden, Bernie, Buttigieg, who am I forgetting? Warren, we talked about Warren. They're, they all want to want to make their want to make a, a distinction in terms of the way that they are different from from Bloomberg. Yeah, uh, it's interesting how Bloomberg sort of makes his case that he is the antithesis to Donald Trump. When he's also a billionaire from New York and, and richer uh, than Trump and richer than Trump. And I've I've hypothesized, you know, he's 
many of his critics have said this guy is basically so open about wanting to buy the Democratic nomination. Trump has sort of tweeted this afternoon that uh, that pretty much that sentiment exactly. And it's not like Bloomberg is really shying away from it. It's actually kind of interesting. He's sort of embracing that label, leaning into it. And he's even targeted like Instagram influencers to uh, even if the even if he personally is not reaching out to these Instagram influencers, uh, they're all posting screenshots from their direct messages and sort of posting it to every uh, like their hundreds of thousands of followers that. Bloomberg is just trying to make there's a play. There's just this notion that over the last week or so, there's been this virality. Is that a word, virality? Yeah, the vi- probably. In terms, of, <laughs> in terms of social media as it relates to the Bloomberg campaign. We're going to talk all about that. And of course, just as the disclaimer, Michael Bloomberg... Uh, who's seeking the Democratic presidential nomination is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio. I, I, it's going to be very interesting to see right. tomorrow night what happens. All right, Blagojevich, th- there's a name you, you thought you weren't going to be <laughs> hearing. <laughs> on <laughs> that's where we lead tonight with the big story: Jor- Jordan Fabian, and Josh Wingrove writing on the terminal. President Donald Trump announced a set of clemencies and pardons on Tuesday, including former Illinois Governor Rod Blagoj Blagojevich. I can never say the Blagoj- guy's name. Blagojevich. Blagojevich. I have it right, and then I like overthink it. But I've covered it for a million years, it seems, and it's back. And this is why I'm so glad, Mr. Creamer, that you're here because he was convicted of public corruption. Yeah. And for financier Michael Milken, who was convicted of securities fraud. So Blagojevich and Milken, they got pardoned. Go. Stage is yours. Well, uh, you're going to be surprised at this. Uh, I think. It takes a lot I, to surprise me these days. This will be my surprising, friend. I think. The, my, uh, this is one of the few things he has done, pardoning Rod Blagojevich, I'm talking about Trump, mm-hmm. that I completely support. Wow. I say pardoning. He didn't pardon. He, he commuted, commuted his, his sentence. sentence. Yeah. And the reason is simple. Uh, you know, Blagojevich, uh, you know, was sentenced to 14 years in prison, which is a huge amount of time. Longer than and Roger Stone, longer than uh, Paul Manafort, right? now. Yeah, longer, longer than, than Paul Longer Manafort. than some armed robbers. Longer right. than people who do things like rape in some jurisdictions. The point is, uh, he was exemplary of the fact that uh, our sentences in the United States are just too long in jail. We rely far too much on incarceration. What, 25% of the world's prisoners are here in the United States with 5% of the world's population. And uh, uh, you know, Bogoyevich was a jerk. Uh, he never took much money. I mean, any money, as far as I know, for the things he did. And he uh, really made the judge mad. I mean, uh, so so that I, I actually have some sympathy for Rod is the, the point, and I think he did a good job. I'm going to disagree with you on that okay, one, Bob, because I actually think this is show. one of the things that, uh, you know, if for – Trump, of all people, who is constantly being barraged with labels of being corrupt, commuting the sentence of a corrupt politician almost looks magnanimous in a way because he's – if you're trying to get away from that label of being corrupt, why would you commute the sentence of a corrupt politician who tried to sell a Senate seat, who tried to exploit a children's hospital? It just is not good in terms of his whole ethos of draining the swamp. I don't I think it's a that. it's not a yeah. good move politically speaking. Right. It doesn't look good optically. Even if you disagree with the sentence, I think you could have made the case that there are many things wrong with this move than there are better for it. Well, certainly as a political matter, I concur with you actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I would have preferred say that Barack Obama had 
done the same thing. But uh, and, and, uh, and as you say, it was embedded in quite a number of other pardons, many of which Michael Milken, really. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's if a guy were, who deserves something. Well, well and Milken, Kierke. of course, was. I mean, Blagojevich was on The Celebrity Apprentice. If you would have right. told me, and Christine Barada, our executive producer, I thought Joe Judice would get the, he was because <laughs> Teresa was on the, I, I still am waiting for that. You know, but I guess because the whole immigration debacle. But Blagojevich was convicted. He's 63 years old. He was convicted in 2011 of 17 charges for what federal prosecutors said was a sweeping corruption plot that included an attempt to sell former Barack Obama's former President Barack Obama's vacated U.S. Senate seat. I mean, selling a Senate seat, Mr. Kramer, my you know Robert Kramer. I, I, I am not. I'm not arguing that he shouldn't have suffered some consequence. I, I do agree with that. You're just, just saying think, that the, the, the sentence, sentence was too severe. Was far, it's too severe. For selling and a Senate seat? 14 years is a long time. I think, I think in terms of if you're trying to send a message to the broader American public that corruption is bad, it's also sending the message that having powerful friends like the president of the United States is the only way to bail yourself out. I, I don't disagree with your analysis right. of all of that. Right. I mean— my analysis of this subject is entirely rooted in the fact that I thought he personally got too much time, and that's all. All right. Take a okay. listen to President Trump on Blagojevich. Here he is. So he'll be able to go back home with his family after serving eight years in jail. That was a tremendously powerful, ridiculous sentence, in my opinion. All right. There you have it. Coming up on the program, more pardons. I feel like I'm hosting Pardon the Interruption. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Robert Kramer's here. Siraj Hashmi stays. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I haven't given it any thought. In the meantime, he's going through a process, but I think he's been treated very unfairly. That was uh, President Trump speaking earlier today about Roger Stone and where he feels the Roger Stone case story is going. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Siraj Hashmi's here. He's a... Uh, is a commentary video editor and writer for the Washington Examiner. Did you have a good President's Day? I had a wonderful President's why? Day. Why? What made it so good? I did no wow. work whatsoever. Oh, that's cool. But and the reason why it was so good, the last last week for my podcast, hashing it out, sorry to do a Thanks shameless for plug the here. Uh, I've never been asked to be on it. Would I be? You want to you want to come? I'll, Kevin, hey, we if can I'm have allowed, you come hey, on. ask Christine. Okay, I'll ask. <laughs> uh, had Devin Nunes on last week. How was how's Mr. Nunes? So Nunes, uh, we had a very good conversation. Talked about his investigations. Got to talk, ask him about his defamation lawsuits against both CNN and McClatchy. McClatchy filed for bankruptcy last yeah. week, and also asked him about his uh, defamation lawsuits against Twitter. And then two Twitter accounts, just Devin, Nunes, Devin Nunez's cow and Devin Nunez's mom. So I asked him what his reasoning was behind it. And he's bored, and, is what he told you. <laughs> he had a very lengthy explanation. He gave me like a five-minute answer. Um, but like part of me, I mean, listen, I, part of me understands, hey, free country, do whatever you want. The other part of me is like, what are your constituents? Like, what don't I? Well, it's interesting because the, his reasoning behind it is that uh, – 
it wasn't just criticism. It was like slander. And he was telling me, and this I wish he told me on the podcast, but he was saying that you know some of the pieces that they were publishing was basically that he was using underage prostitutes to basically solicit sources and information, which is crazy. Yeah, that like is that crazy. is like slanderous, libel. Like that should yeah. absolutely, if they're not taking it down, he f- he felt the need to go to court, and so that's like uh, you know that's one of the things that he's been uh, pursuing, and so he doesn't even engage with a lot of media outlets because he views them as quote-unquote assassins. Well, the next thing assassins. you ought to ask him is whether he is— Robert Creamer, everybody. I'm just sorry. He's, a, he's our Democratic strategist, yeah. consultant, yeah. insider. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that the next thing you ought to ask him is if he is in favor of some regulation that requires Facebook to take responsibility when they take money from people to uh-huh. put ads up for, for their factual content like other media. Right. Because this is a huge— opportunity for a guy who's an inveterate liar like Donald Trump and his crew to to publish things of exactly the sort you just described, mm-hmm. run ad, hundreds of millions of dollars of ads at no consequence. Well, let's rip uh, up the, the script because because uh, uh, I think it was it was Tom. It was Francine Lacroix who asked me this uh, on air this morning on Bloomberg Television. And, and I thought it's a great question. It's to this point. We just had the Iowa caucus, which was a total debacle because of technology. The yeah. app. Remember the app? Yeah. The app. We're headed to Nevada. There's going to be a caucus. Are they any better prepared than Troy Price? Yeah, we're they're going to be out. using a Google Doc. And, uh, oh, no. and that's from what I'm hearing is that they they moving away from the app, but like they're still relying on technology. Like, And, and one of the things that uh, one of the pieces that came out as a result of the Iowa caucus debacle is that. Uh, the generations of individuals who are currently overseeing the caucus process are too old to really, you know, be savvy well, with I'm, technology. I'm, listen, listen, as a millennial <laughs> hey. who worked at a retirement community as one of my first jobs back in Delco, I am not an ageist. I think I that am, we have a I lot to either. learn. Well, you sounded like one. My no, no, friend. I'm saying that's I one of that's one of the pieces of criticism. That's one of the pieces of criticism. We need to respect our elders. Thank you. I appreciate that. As that's an one elder. of the pieces yeah. of criticism that came out from the Iowa. The, no, no. Well, I mean, uh, I think the I bottom line is don't have an app. That. Don't have an app running the Iowa caucus. Well, don't have a Google Doc. Well, the real bottom line is this, though. I mean, you know, when you have caucuses, the party runs those things, and that means every four years there are basically people who are new to the game, or even if they're not new, they're not practiced in the game running elections. Right. Primaries are run by professional election authorities. And that's one more reason why caucuses in general are a bad idea. I, I think I, we're going to move away from those. Hopefully this will be the last year we see a lot of And Nevada should be interesting because it, uh, like 66% of the population is uh, white as opposed to in Iowa and New Hampshire where it's like 89, 90%. Yeah. The other main reason I'm uncomfortable with caucuses is, is I don't want the guy or gal down the street knowing who I'm who I'm voting for. I mean, uh, right? I mean, I don't even say it as a punchline. I say it as a fact. I mean, where I grew I mean, I don't want it, my neighbors knowing who I'm voting for. I don't vote in elections. Well, and that especially applies to today because now especially politics sort of today, supersedes religion in terms of like differences and not who, my religion. You, who you actually you know associate yourself Catholic. with. Catholic. Well, I, well, that's all to the yeah. good. Well, now, I mean, now, now, the good news is that Nevada has made available early caucusing, I guess, early voting in the caucuses, which will broaden its participation. Already 25,000 people have voted. 25,000 people have already re- voted in Nevada. Uh, that's right. Even though, and last time it was only about 83,000, I believe that was the number, 
that voted that participated in the entire thing. So and early voting continues, I think, today again and tomorrow. And uh, and then in the end, uh, the balance of people. Caucus. So do we think Nevada matters, Robert? I th- yes, I think Nevada matters. So a lot. for Elizabeth Warren, uh, why? What's her path? Tell me her path. You're backing Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I, I think Elizabeth's uh, path is. I hope she does decently in here and and also, I mean, is able to persist at a at a reasonable level. Um, in the end, my view is that I hope there will be a lot of people who decide that she is the best candidate to unite the Democratic Party. Because the last thing we need really is a the kind of polarization we had in 2016. Uh-huh. And I think she's the one candidate in the field who could get a lot of those Bernie supporters and get a lot of other people in the I party disagree. To, 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 to sign up and support her. And, uh, uh, and, and so I think that's a— So she's in it through Super Tuesday. I, oh, there's no doubt she's in it through Super Tuesday, I think. And, and then we'll see how things develop. I mean, this will be a— you know, still a case Bernie Sanders supporters are probably the most fickle in terms of supporting anybody else. They're going to see a lot where you're going to see in 2016. If, if the candidate is not Bernie Sanders, they're all gone. They're not. You won't even get. Uh, I, I think you might get a few, but you will not get. Well, even anywhere. if he gets, even if he gets, even if even if uh, let's say 80 percent of Bernie Sanders supporters show up and vote for the nominee, 20 percent not could tip an election. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean the. I just did a piece today, actually, in, in Daily Coast. Yep, basically I read it. Argued that being a moderate is not, you know, the the, the the kind of established punditry says, well, everybody kind of understands that the more moderate you are, the better chance you have a re-election. That is simply not true historically. For either party. For either party. Uh, ask uh, John McCain and Hillary Clinton how well that worked out for them. I mean, since John Kennedy, uh, people have been... I'm not cutting you off. That's okay. We're going to continue the conversation coming up. We have a hard break, but I don't want you to interpret that as me cutting you off because it's a great discussion. We'll use it as our pivot point coming up. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm having fun today, and I think it's important to have fun. Haraj, Siraj Hashmi is here from the Washington Examiner, which is killing it lately. I guess so. 
I know so. Uh, are we? Yeah, you guys are very. I mean, I think you guys have been on the ascent for the past couple of years. Yeah, no, we've been doing pretty well. Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, points I mean, I'm on not the gonna, board. I'm not gonna, you know, give myself all the credit, but what? I'm not gonna say it's not <laughs> not me. <laughs> Robert Creamer's here from the north side of Chicago. Uh, and yeah, that's right. Democratic strategist. Uh, and we were just talking about the NBA All Star Game. I was like, "Did you go? Did you and Congresswoman Chikowski, your your wife, go to the game?" And you told me no. How do you miss the the Chi Town Magic? It's a shocking decision on our part. I realize <laughs> that's terrible, right. terrible. I watched it. Jennifer Hudson ripped my heart out, ripped it into pieces. Like she went over it, then backed it up, then went over it again. Her song, her tribute to to Kobe Bryant. Yeah. I love like, the new format too. Oh, I thought the format was amazing. The NFL, Roger Goodell should call up the NBA and say, now that's how you Adam put on Adam Silver, he is by far the best commissioner Savvy. In, in professional sports right now. They did it for charity. There was a charity component, and, yeah. and it, it sucked you in. I, I actually enjoyed enjoyed it. Terrific. Yeah. Well, Chicago uh, does things upright. Chicago's the Kind of like city. Philly. Yeah. You know, I was back home this weekend for my three-day weekend. I went to Iskros. If you've never been to the Italian market on 9th Street in Philly, yeah. you can get... The best pastels, gnocchis, pasta. I, I rented a car, and my, my mother, she's Irish too, but she sent me back with all – I have enough – I'm telling you, I have enough Italian food in my freezer right now to last me between now and Election Day. R.I.P. my thighs. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right, enough about pasta. That's what everyone should have for dinner tonight, pasta. But uh, – Foreign policy. (laughs) (laughs) What a segue. (laughs) They tell me I'm really good at segues. I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm terrible. Um, But no, let's, in all seriousness, uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo continuing with these speeches over the last uh, several months. It started in Silicon Valley, then it continued at the uh, National Governors Association the other week, and it then over the weekend at at the Munich Security Conference, really targeting targeting China and and really sounding the siren in a bipartisan way about the concerns as it relates to China. We started the day with some developments of Huawei uh, and how uh, Huawei is once again in the news over in a bipartisan way about scrutiny coming from lawmakers and both parties. But then get this, the headline on the Bloomberg Terminal just this afternoon by Glenn Carey, The U.S. designated five Chinese media companies as, quote, foreign missions, a decision that reflects the Trump administration's view that the Communist Party of Xi Jinping is imposing increasingly draconian government control over news services. This, according to senior State Department officials, Uh, everything from China Global Television Network, China Radio International, China Daily Distribution Corps. I, I mean, it's amazing that now they are going to be subject to to sanctions, especially given the respite of tension with the U.S.-China trade phase one. Mm-hmm. And I would say that it is on foreign policy, Trump has actually done more in the last than the last two presidents. Oh, well, let's just say ever since Nixon in terms of uh, approaching the Chinese, um, he has done more to combat their aggressiveness uh, on things like combating uh, their trade policies, on combating their IP theft, on combating um, just their human rights abuses. I mean, I'm actually, my episode, on, my next episode on the podcast is talking about the Uyghur re-education camps. So sad. Where there's over a million Uyghur Muslims in the Xinjiang province, which is the northwestern province in China, who are detained simply for the practice, uh, simply because they're practicing their Islamic faith. 
And they have been doing this for the last 70 years, ever since they ascended to being the sole party of China in 1949 uh, under Mao Zedong. Tens of millions have died from communism. And it's about time. I mean, I know it's not going to it's it's sort of like putting a Band-Aid on it, but it's at least something and moving in the direction of trying to so get So you're Xi talking Jinping. about the Uyghurs, so there's that whole element to hear from a religious right. liberty standpoint. But I'm just talking about combating no. the Xi No, Jinping. I hear yeah. you. And then you've got now the sanctions on the, the China entities, and then uh, the ambassador to Germany for the United States, Richard Grinnell, tweeting out earlier today uh, some concerns as it relates to Huawei. Remember, China has been really infiltrating the 5G landscape in Europe uh, with the likes of Germany uh, the Italians, maybe the French, uh, as it relates to Huawei. And Reuters reporting that the Trump administration is now considering changing U.S. regulations to allow it to block shipments of chips to Huawei from companies such as Taiwan's TSMC, the world's largest contract chip maker. So they're now they're going after Huawei. And it was over the weekend that Speaker Pelosi said she backed Trump on the issue of Huawei. Well, here the problem with uh, Trump's... Uh foreign policy generally is this unilateralism and this inability to work with others has yielded a, a situation where on Huawei, uh, he's not getting support of his, our, our, our erstwhile allies right? because he is so alienated, most allies in the world. And, uh, and let's be clear. I mean, Trump talking about authoritarianism is a refreshing and surprising turn because Trump is interested. Trump would like to make this a more authoritarian country. But and, uh, and, and you know, I'm glad to see he's defending Uyghurs in, in, in China when he has a Muslim ban he's tra- promoted in terms of immigration right, in the United but, States. But, but let, me, let me keep this hyper-focused on the issue of U.S.-China trade relations because mm-hmm. I, from a policy standpoint, <clears throat> I wish that we could get a more meaty debate in terms of trade policy within the Democratic Party because you and I both know this, that— when it comes to, to trade policy, there are, again, some areas in how the president has negotiated with other countries, especially with u- utilizing tariffs and whatnot, uh, and, and pulling out of USMCA and whatnot, that Warren, Bernie, and others in the Democratic Party, maybe they don't agree with the approach, but they are more, <laughs> more aligned with that than establishments of both parties. There is no doubt that right. uh, at least my wing of the Democratic Party is much more interested in a in a rigorous trade policy that is that stands up for American workers and right. the environment and so forth, than the crew that is interested in allowing corporations to have their have their way. I will say that the uh, the renegotiation of the NAFTA, uh, the 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 agreement he brought to the table, brought to Leader Pelosi and to the Democrats, was really flawed. I mean, gave gave prescription drug makers all sorts of ways. No, to, I hear you. you know, so on. and it wasn't for the Democratic uh, working group that was negotiating this, that including my wife who was on it, right, uh, negotiated a much better deal in the end uh, th- than the one he brought back. So let's be clear that he still has a lot of influence. No, I, by I, I hear you. On, but I want to ask you this though: Why do you think we haven't heard trade policy as more of a defining issue in the Democratic presidential race? I think because everybody in these stages has at least alleged that they support views that are more akin to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren than the trade policies of Bill Clinton and uh, and some but of that's our not true. 
I agree it may not be true. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just curious. They allege that is true. But let me help me out here sure. because because what I don't understand is is they all are in agreement that they don't like Trump. But there actually is substantial policy disagreement amongst the candidates on the economy. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are more for economic protectionism when it comes to China. And they actually fall in line more closely to Trump on trade. And if you're a Democrat listening, don't drive off the road. Keep your eyes on the road. But in tariffs, in terms of... Bernie Sanders' trade policy with China would be no different than Trump's, I think. I and mean, probably Elizabeth Warren. He would Warren. disagree with that. I, I no, I, I'm disagree, just saying in ter- maybe maybe the rhetoric is different, but in terms of getting China to actually come to the negotiating table, I think they it's both. Populist. I think they both would use populist methods of imposing trade uh, tariffs on Chinese goods or Chinese exports to try to get them. And to just negotiate. a big difference, though, is is that the Democrats would engage a coalition. Right. I mean, you know, come on. Trump started out the trade war with China by then turning around and making war on the Europeans instead of uh, instead of trying to unite people. I just am baffled that it hasn't been more of I was just and this is where my hypothesis was wrong as a reporter was you shouldn't have a hypothesis as a reporter. But (laughs) but in terms of thinking, I thought this will be one of the defining differentiating issues of the campaign is where the candidates stand on the economy and so far i've been wrong coming up much more from the panel what's on their radar what's their quick take i'm kevin cirilli headed to vegas baby you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 this is bloomberg sound on with kevin cirilli on bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 fm hd2 my name is kevin cirilli i'm the chief washington correspondent for bloomberg television and bloomberg radio and reminder we're going to be broadcasting tomorrow from Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm headed there on the red eye, and we're touching down. And then we're going right to the studio to broadcast for Bloomberg Television, and we will have our continued all-star coverage of the Democratic presidential debate. Robert Creamer's here. It's your first time on the show. It is. Would you ever come back? Oh, I'd love to. Thank you're, you for you're saying a lot that. Of fun. Yeah. You're having fun? Very, very good show. I appreciate Thanks that. Show. See, I like to have fun, you know? Everything's so like depressing these days. Yeah. You gotta lighten it up, you know? Siraj Hashmi's here. Yeah, Would you come back? This is your second time. This is my second time. You think I you think I'd leave now? I feel like yeah, I feel like you you're yeah, I, I get I feel like you get the flow now. Yeah. So I was back in Delco over the weekend. And I took my godson, Petey Nix, to three years old now. He's growing up so fast, uh, <laughs> my nephew. And he was born the day I interviewed Trump. So I always, like, remember. And I go, who's the president? He goes, Trump, Trump. Like, he, he knows who the president is at three years old. Anyway, I took him to Jurassic World. And uh, that kid, I'm telling you, you see a kid watch dinosaurs. Jurassic World, the movie? No, it's like this live circus training robotic artificial intelligence oh, special snap. effects i was freaked out the kid did fine but i was you know are they real are they not and this is in delco well this was actually in philly oh in philly okay and then i went to the italian market i just you know i'm such a sucker for home <laughs> where did you grow up where i grew up in I shreveport i grew up in shreveport louisiana how did you wow. end up in chi town well i got involved in the civil rights movement many many years ago which aspect you might of imagine it? uh well it was uh, actually you know, in Shreveport, there was a lot of uh, controversy over school integration and all the things. we. And then I went to Duke, where we had more controversy over civil rights in the, in the Vietnam War. And then uh, came to the University of Chicago to graduate school and got involved with Saul Alinsky's last project in Chicago. And I've been doing this kind of work ever since. Okay. What did your parents do? Uh, my dad was a uh, 
uh, steel fabricating guy. He was okay. in the business, and my mother was a teacher. Cool. Um, I don't like Duke basketball. I just have to every Duke's time someone tells me I, I admire your <laughs> service and as it relates to to the civil rights. And I, I seriously, yeah. you know, that's amazing. But Duke basketball, you don't like. But it. Coach K, can I, I just can't. Okay, well, he, sorry. Very I, effective. Very effective, Coach K. Oh. Okay, we're going to move on. We did this thing on the show. <laughs> that game against UNC, I'm still yep. talking about it. I was talking about it all in Manchester. I've spent enough time talking about sports. I apologize to our executive producer, Christine Barada. I'm going to get back on track. Um, we did this thing on the show called What is on Your What's Your Quick Take on Your Radar? It's where I, you, know, you tell me something. It's in the news, but maybe not getting enough attention, and I want to hear all about it. You are going to go first. All right. So we got the Democratic debate happening in Las Vegas. Yes. Uh, so people have been writing off Michael Bloomberg on his debate performance already. They set the bar so low, and I actually think he's going to do very well because they set the bar so low. Uh, and then I'm also thinking— So you think he's going to beat expectations because the expectations are, are so, so low. low. It's like a Star Wars film. It's- <laughs> You know, the Star Wars fans, nobody hates Star Wars movies like Star Wars fans. And they set the expectations so low that they ended up being either great or horrible. But I will say this. There has been some talk online about Stacey Abrams possibly possibly being a running mate to Michael Bloomberg. She said on The View that she wants to be, that she would be open to doing it. I think it's interesting because it would actually hurt her more than it would help Michael Bloomberg. Because people look at her and they kind of already have this, she already has this aura of someone who can do no wrong. And as soon as if she aligns herself with Michael Bloomberg after the stop and frisk comments, um, after a lot of the negative comments, uh, a lot of the things that he's said in the last week that have been revealed, I believe it might help Bloomberg. But it will certainly hurt well, Stacey I Abrams know, more. I'm actually really. I, I think the the. I think actually Joe Biden could have a really big night tomorrow night because I think all of the back and forth will be involving Bloomberg and all the other candidates. Yeah, I would just say, yeah, I think partially with this Bloomberg, uh, Bernie back and forth takes the focus away from Biden. And I actually think it helps him a little bit. Right. And so I don't know. And again, just as a disclaimer, Michael Bloomberg, who is seeking the Democratic presidential nomination, is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio. I cannot wait to watch that debate from Vegas. It's going to be interesting. Yes, it will. And it'll be a big deal in terms of, I think, the next phase of the Democratic uh, uh, presidential race. And where the and, party and, goes. And, 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 and that's right. And, 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 you know, and the next phase, South Carolina and then Super Tuesday, you know, that's where m- much of the nation starts to vote. Uh, yeah. And I think that will probably be more significant in this year than even the, uh, the, in the early. Uh, I still just feel bad knocking. New Hampshire and Iowa. Well, I'm not knocking them. I'm yeah, just saying. All right, what's, on, what's your quick take? What's on well, your radar? Well, this is totally, totally separate Good. Question. That's what I like. I like um, diversity. Uh, there's a guy named Paul Singer who is a vulture capitalist, and he's a very close friend of Donald Trump's, and he is in the process of trying to shake down AT&T uh, to, uh, to cut costs, which basically means uh, screwing around with the unions. And uh, um, that is a uh, battle that is kind of – AT&T being a big union employer. Yep. Unions, of course, in my view, are the principal solution to the problem of income inequality in the United States. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll, it, it'll be interesting to see how that begins to play out. And I think it'll get a lot more coverage as the situation develops. Well, it was in the Post the other day. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, uh, I mean, 
The Post has been really actually covering this. I'll, I, let me just pull it up. Josh Kotzman in the New York Post write, writing, Goldman Sachs has invited its large trading clients, including hedge funds, to a meeting with SoftBank chairman and chief executive uh, and the CEO in the coming weeks, which is raising eyebrows. So, you know, it, it will be interesting. I and mean, that's, uh, that's a soft brain thing. He's yeah. making a play in that direction as well. So these vulture capitalists in general that create no value and just try and extract value out of people. One man's vulture capitalist is another man's business opportunity just to stay in the middle. That's what I'll say. Right? Okay. Fair so, enough. all right. Can I tell you what's on my radar? Let's hear it. My quick take on my radar. Rosneft. This is huge. So, I, as you guys know, I'm a foreign policy nerd. So they just got sanctioned today, and they are a unit of Russia's largest oil producer. So if you've been following dictator Maduro down in Venezuela and how Juan Guaido has been backed by the United States as well as 50-plus other countries worldwide, um, a lot of the, the people in the, uh, in the Venezuela political orbit on both sides of the aisle have really been pressing the Trump administration to go after Russia as it relates because Russia's propping up Maduro. Mm -hmm. And so as is Cuba. And so uh, for them to sanction, for the U.S. to sanction Rosneft today, a unit of Russia's largest oil producer, it's quite telling. And the Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets Control is acting against Rosneft Trading SA, the company's Swiss incorporated brokerage firm, as well as Chairman Didier Casimiro. It was because they tried to help Venezuela skirt U.S. sanctions. Is that right? Yes. But also because they're propping up Venezuela, yeah, Maduro. That would do it too. And and because they have ties to the Venezuelan oil trade. So it's a massive signal uh, to Russia that when it comes to Venezuela, when it comes to Latin America, uh, that Treasury Department is now taking a more aggressive uh, tone. I also do want to clarify, I'm not sure Paul Singer and Trump are friends. Oh, yeah. They're... they're, they're did they play golf together? I don't know about that, but I do oh, know that he's been. Well, they're not friends if they don't play golf together. <laughs> he's a big supporter okay. of, of Donald Trump and other associated. Bannon doesn't like him. Yeah. Well, that's. Uh, that and one, Tucker that, Carlson doesn't like him either. Oh, Tucker Carlson actually uh, doesn't like him at all for reasons that are pretty good for a change, if you ask me. And See, we live in this Tucker world. Carlson okay, thing. can I just end it on this note? We live in this world, and this is why I really like this show and value you coming on this program, is because. There are there are so many areas where populists are, agree, and we don't have a media landscape right now where that can be openly discussed. So thank you for coming on. I'm headed to Vegas. Thanks for listening. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcasts on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.